The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. He needs all the help he can get. That's right, I'm talking about our co-host, the snapper, Tom Astor, in England, who needs an entire support team. This is the Shaken and Stirred show, and Tom Astor is definitely both shaken and stirred. Tom, how are you? I'm nice, very well, thanks. How are you? Very well, very well. You, you want me to play a guessing game, you, you said. You, you have some I sort did. of um, musical notes that might... The musical cocktail game. Hit my cocktail, check that out. Looks fabulous. It is a right. sort of red, fruity-looking number. Well, the first word of the cocktail, I will, I'll give you a clue. It's, not a, it's a pretty easy clue. And... Uh, bluegrass. That is not bluegrass. <laughs> I was a good guess with you, though, wasn't it? I would have said, is that a margarita? Is that, is, that, is that what that is that you're drinking? No, I'm drinking a thing called a Calypso Cooler. Oh, I was thinking it was Jimmy Buffett. Calypso did. Yeah, but we know. But after last, the last podcast we did, and you told the world that your favorite songwriter was someone called... I've forgotten his name. Colonel just... Abrams, but I wasn't my favorite. That was the pop song that uh, first one I bought on a, I guess, what do they call it? A 13 inch or whatever, like the large size single, you know, which is what that was. That was the first one I ever bought. Not my favorite song, but hey, but you are a big bluegrass guy. So, okay, so you're, you're tell us about your drink then. That should have sounded like Calypso. Maybe I just really played it so badly. Then. I'm drinking Calypso Cooler. I'm so fat. Once again, the storm, the storm I was discussing the other day is still with us. The rain is filthy in England, the weather's horrible, and I am dreaming of a beach, and I'm dreaming of, you know, like there's a few times I've been lucky enough to get to the Caribbean and get to Barbados and listen to a bit of Calypso. And I don't know, for all anyone listening to this, if you like your Calypso, the Mighty Sparrow is one of the finest Calypso players ever, and it just takes me to the beach, which clearly, given my colouring, isn't my natural habitat. <laughs> I don't know. I would say you're you could be quite camouflaged on the pink sands of the no, I drinking calypso coolers. Or actually, the place where we used to go in Barbados was called Cobbler's Cove, and they had a thing called a Cobbler's Cooler. That's delicious. It's taken me back there, and um, there we go. Grenadine. Do you want to know what's in it? I mean, you love telling people what's in your cocktail. It's grenadine, orange juice, oh, peach snaps, and spiced rum. Wow! Look at you. I know, look at me, piling it on, mate. I need a room. Yeah, I know, I know. You've kind of put, put me to shame, except for the fact that I have also oh. made myself a rather smashing cocktail. Um, and it is called, surprisingly enough, the Mary Astor. Ooh, and I wondered if it was any relation. I think Mary Astor is actually an actress in America. And I don't know that she's a direct relation, but then I, she must be a relation of, of, of yours. I mean, how many Astors are there? Well, she's either a relation or she changed her name as an actress to try and get jobs. There you go. Because, I mean, no, no doubt just being called an Astor is simply, a, you know, a, a way in anywhere, right, isn't it? No, we generally are all related. But um, that one, she was an actress. And I'm not sure if we were actually related or whether she, she was a, you know. Well, it's a, it's a gin sour um, and it is dry gin, sherry, slow gin, 
lemon juice freshly squeezed and simple syrup and shaken into and then poured into a frozen coupe glass. So it's a, it's quite a cocktail. I mean, it really does have pretty much everything in it. You know, two types of gin, and I don't get my slow gin out very often, which is obviously gin made with slow berries. I've not tasted it yet, to be honest. I, I saw it and I thought, ooh, I'm going to try that. Cheers. Have you got, okay, so this time of year in this country, we get the slow berry. Is that good? Is that good? Does that taste Very good. It's actually delicious. It is a bit tart, which is, it's called a gin sour. Uh, yeah. right? so, so it would be, and I, I'm, I'm fond of a tart, so there you go. You are fond of a tart. Um, this time of year in England, we have our slow berries coming out, on the, on the, and we go pick them, and then you pinprick them, put them in a bottle with just a vodka, and then shake them up once or twice every two, month or two, and put a bunch of sugar in it, and about four years later, strain it, and you get slow gin or slow vodka. Do you have slow berries in America? We don't. I think it is a very English thing. I mean, the, the slow berries, that they grow in the hedgerows in England. Isn't that where you pick them from? Yeah. Hawthorn bushes. And I think that's a, such a classically English thing. I mean, I, it's definitely not a drink that you see around in the US. And that's why, again, when I saw it, I was thinking to myself, Mary Astor, and then this was her drink. I wondered whether she had an English connection or, you know, because it's quite a cocktail. Anyway, I, I loved it. It's, it tastes delicious. I'm kind of excited. It's, it's, it's a lot of alcohol. It's almost four ounces of alcohol. It's almost like a one and a half when it comes to a, a martini. So I should have a, quite an uh, interview today. I think it'd be quite fun. Well, Dan, I tell you what, I've discovered something else. I'm going to give you my booze news before you even introduce Ooh, booze, booze news. Asta has some booze news. No, I don't really. It's not booze news at all. Well, it's my booze news. But I've discovered, well, Vincent, who you met earlier, my 11-year-old son, discovered the other day a deck of playing cards in the playroom of all places, which is probably a little inappropriate. It's a deck of playing cards, which I'm holding up, but for people who are listening and can't see, it's a deck of 52 playing cards. How many, how many cards are in the deck? 52? Every card. Anyway, you know, we struggle every week to try and find, you know, an interesting cocktail, a new cocktail, a cocktail we like, you know, that kind of thing. Two things struck. So he's found this deck of cards. It's got a cocktail for every card. So hence the Calypso Cooler. Calypso Cooler. I can't even speak. I've already had one. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I love it. So very inventive. Is actually card number one. No, that's the seven of clubs. Oh. That. I mean, I won't be able to pronounce that in a minute. But um, anyway, I got fifty ones ago. All right. Yeah. I was, all right. Now the other thing I was thinking. Which one is the Joker, by the way? Mate, I'll find that. I'll get to that. You'll know when I get to that because I won't be appearing. I'll be horizontal, not vertical. So your booze news is that you have a pack of cards with drink cards. See, Tom's booze news normally re revolves around him and his what, and it's news to the world that how he's going to be drinking and what he's going to be drinking. Well, I love it. I love that, Tom. I've got a bit of news for you, and I got actually it's more of a question. There's a bit of news out there which is booze related, but I, I want your opinion as to you know what whether you think the right thing was done or not. So. In Texas, uh, there's a waitress who went to, who works at the Texas Roadhouse, and she was serving a family. It was a husband and wife, and they had the daughter. The daughter looked about like she was about 17, apparently, and the husband and wife were there ordering their food. Everything was going just fine. The wife ordered a margarita. The husband turned around and said he would like a beer, to which the wife turned around and said, absolutely not, serve him water. He then got very upset and said, no, 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 I want a beer. This went back and forth. She said that apparently, this is all, you know, apparently, um, that she didn't want to mediate. She didn't have time for it. And she basically brought her, the, the woman a margarita and the man a beer. Now she then got scowled at by the wife and the husband then orders another beer when he finishes that one. And she brings that too. 
you know, the wife is getting more and more irritated with the waitress, not really with the family. They apparently, the wife and the daughter eventually finish their meal, get up and leave. The husband pays the bill, it's around 60 bucks, and he pays her a $40 tip on a $60 bill. And um, the waitress is rather chuffed and she knows she's got this. Anyway, apparently a few hours later, the wife comes storming in and demands the tip back and says, you didn't listen to me. You basically you know, disobeyed me and I was the customer and I want that $40 tip back. Now, the manager of the restaurant said, absolutely not. You gave it to her. It's, you know, it's, she doesn't have to give it back to you, but it's, it's become a bit of an uproar. What do you think is the right thing to do, Tom? I tell you exactly what I think the right thing to do is. My, I think the right thing to do is Google, for anyone listening, Google is wonderful term, and you've got it in America because it's, it came from America. It's a pejorative term for many English-speaking countries, generally the United States, for a woman. It's called, basically, the term is called calling someone, this woman sounds like a Karen. Have you heard of this expression? A Karen. So what I would say is Google Karen. Now, the explanation is a woman perceived as entitled or demanding beyond the scope of what is appropriate or necessary. A common stereotype is that of a white woman who uses her privilege to demand her own way at the expense of others. Does that answer your question? It 100% does. I'm smiling ear for ear because my my kids' favorite insult for their mother is to call her a Karen. Oh, so for fun. all the Karens out there, I'm sorry because I know this is a generalization, but that is hilarious. And of course, it has absolutely nothing to do with our next guest, who is brilliant, hilarious, and definitely not a Karen. So our guest today is the founder of Fit Men Cook, an online community of over 2 million followers. Tom, that's about two followers less than we have, I think. He's one of the most <laughs> sought after personalities in nutrition, health, and wellness. So completely up our street, Tom, once again. He has a best-selling cookbook, appeared on dozens of TV shows, has his own line of spices, and it's probably just because of his last name, to be honest with you. Uh -huh. The line of spices <laughs> called The Fit Cook. Here to spice things up, please welcome Kevin Curry. Mate, how are you? What's going on, y'all? <laughs> Cheers. What are you drinking? You know what? Okay, so I bought something special for you. So I am actually a whiskey drinker. As I've been getting older, I've been trying to lean into my whole like grown and sexy, you know, in whiskey, you gotta, you gotta be sophisticated gentlemen, right? So. I've been um, drinking whiskey a lot more, and this was one that uh, has a really cool story. This is called the Garriotta Oak Whiskey. So cool thing about this whiskey is that it's kind of rare. It's pretty rare. It, um, the Garriotta Oak tree grows in the Pacific Northwest of the U.S., and it's illegal to cut them down. So they have to wait for these trees to fall over <laughs> and basically die. And then they, they use the oak to go ahead and create barrels to create the whiskey. Maybe that was all hyperbole so they would get me to buy this really expensive <laughs> whiskey, but it tastes really good. It's very smooth. It's not too peaty, which I'm not a fan of, of peaty whiskeys. Well, so I'm, I'm, I'm loving the fact that, that that bottle alone, I thought actually was like a soda <laughs> bottle. Uh, and, oh. and, and, and the opposite, and actually, and now because it's got this big red label, it's very untraditional whiskey yeah. looking. It's actually a little yeah. cool and funky. It almost looks like a, a rum bottle by the look, by it the design. It does look on like it. a rum bottle. It does look like that. 
How much are y'all drinking? How much should I put in there? I put a double. We all are very, very seasoned, and we want to make oh, sure that okay. you can keep Cheers. up. Okay, Kevin. Oh, absolutely. You know, I'm a, I am a Texan man. I could. Oh, you got double. See, see, Tom. Now I've got to go ahead and pull out the big gun. See, I wasn't sure I was going to use this or not, but today I am. So I'd love. Do you ever smoke your food or smoke your drinks? Um, he, he smokes all kinds Ooh. of things, so you've got to be careful. When it comes to him, you know, the, it goes off onto Jeffries and everything else. But that's <laughs> we don't judge, Tom. It's okay to smoke a little bit. You know, it's, we're in a pandemic. You know, people need that. So Dice can't help it, the judging thing. But yeah, we can. Uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry, I'll sing it to you. What is that? Yeah, so this is called a smoking gun. It's one of the best things I ever bought. So what it does is you just put in wood chips here that you can get like anywhere. You can get them on Amazon. You put in some wood chips and, and this little hose and you just light it on fire with a match. And what happens is it begins to create smoke. Now, the cool thing about this is that you see it coming out right now. Yeah, it's, look at it's that. Like, it's, it looks so, like, a, like yeah. a, an electric drill. Electric yeah. drill connected to a, a hookah. That's not. Look that's at that. Not, it's kind of electric it's so crazy. That's the coolest thing I've ever seen. Jesus. It is. It really is. And here's the thing. There's no heat to it. It's just the, the flavor of whatever wood chips you add. So this is some oak. And I'm putting it in there. And watch this. I'm going to put it and cover up my drink. Turn this off now. Now my drink is enveloped in all this smoke. So you get smoky flavor. So if you don't have a grill at home or you're just missing that, you know, that nice grill smell, you can smoke your food. I've even smoked ice cream, y'all. I smoke ice cream because there's no heat to it. So you let that sit for a second or two and then boom, take it out. Whoa, look at looking? that fancy. So first of all, so Kevin is setting the bar very high. He's decided to come on the Shaking and Stirred mm. show and actually show us how it's done. And I've never had such a fabulous <laughs> guest uh, basically show us the best cocktail possible and make us look like fools. So <laughs> no, no, no. This is how it's going to go, Kevin. Oh, all right, I have to break you down and build you up now. Hang <laughs> on, you say cocktail. He's not even, he, all he's done is produced a bottle of whiskey, poured a bit of whiskey into a glass and produced the most fabulous machine, right? He's not even, it's not even a cocktail, but he has beaten us hands down. And also, what's great about this, Kevin, is I just realized one of the things you said in, in, when you were discussing your, the, the smoking machine is, and we're going to take this completely out of context. We're going to have to get someone, at some point, we'll have to talk to some sort of, you know, have a drunk kind of podcast. And we're going to take your comment completely out of context because you are the only person in my life I have ever heard who has actually smoked ice cream, and you said it. There you go. I smoked ice cream. I was a prefer. <laughs> I love it. I love it. What I'll flavor ice cream was it, though, is the question. Oh, vanilla bean. Vanilla beans with smoky ice cream. I'm telling you, it is the best thing ever. I used to, you know what I also used to do? So back when Game of Thrones was actually really good, we would have the, you know, the watch parties or whatnot. And I would get the big bags of like air pop popcorn. I put like a little Parmesan cheese and some other like, you know, herbs in there. And then I'd smoke it and then seal the bag. And then when we got ready to watch it, it was like smoky wow. Parmesan herb, like rosemary popcorn. It was the best thing ever. People were like, yo, Kev, you fancy, bro. 
I know, man. You know how I do it. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? (laughs) This is so fabulous. I had no idea that you were going to get so into this part of it. You know, you've got such a thing for food, but I love the fact you've got all these other little kind of tricks up your sleeve about how to make things exciting and interesting because that is basically what you've done for food, I think, because this whole cook can cook thing. Okay, it's like, okay, yeah, of course you can, but you're not just talking about cooking. You're taking it to this exciting level, which makes it like incredibly entertaining, right? Yeah, you know, food food should be enjoyed. You know, I have been there where like, I have been super overweight and out of shape and whatnot. And I would do like a lot of people would do and they'll go out and you ask a trainer who looks crazy. So you ask the person who looks like you want to look and they're like, yeah, you need to get up on that chicken breast and brown rice and broccoli. So I've done that and I've failed at it because I really enjoy food. I like the flavor of it. I like the way it makes me feel too, right? You know, if it's, if it's good. So all that to say, I've learned that food can be enjoyed and we don't have to be an absolutist, right? So I don't say you can't eat this, you, you know, like don't eat that over there. I say, you know what, embrace food, but you need to cook it in calorie conscious ways watch your portions and eat a variety of things. And so that way we're not looking at food as something that should be feared. Like you can't eat the carbs. No, 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 no. It's about which types of carbs and it's about how much carbs and how did you prepare those carbs? Is there anything healthy as far as alcohol goes? I mean, and I know that I'm only saying that because, you know, obviously for a lot of people, and I I get this with my friends a lot, they'll go Mm -hmm. on a diet, right? And for example, October, there's a lot of people who are like, okay, we're going on a diet, but one thing they won't sort of cut is alcohol. Or they'll be like, yeah. they'll cut everything else, but they're like, I can't, <laughs> I just want to have my, my margarita. Or I want to have my tequila. Or I mean, is tequila healthy? I mean, is that just BS? Or, you know, what, what, what's the, is there any real truth in any of this? Well, you know, I won't say that, I, you know, I am really coy to use the word healthy for anything. Even with talking about broccoli and whatnot, I just say calorie conscious whenever we're putting food together, because what health is for you could be different from a health for another person. Like people say, you know, like don't eat too much fat. But what if a person is doing the keto diet? Their whole diet is fat. Are they unhealthy now? I don't think so. Right. So I, I, I'm really particular. I, I'm really cautious. But in terms of alcohol, Tom already flamed me because he said that I wasn't making a cocktail. But that's how I began to make um, alcohol, something that I really do enjoy. Part of my diet, part of my routine is that I took out a lot of those fillers that sometimes are a lot more calorie dense, like the sugary stuff. And then it just loads it up. And then I feel bloated afterwards. I just enjoy spirits the way that they are. So in a balanced diet, I have seen like, for instance, if you look at the Mediterranean diet, alcohol, like red wine, is something that people regularly enjoy with every single meal. And they are heart healthy. They live for a long time. Statistically, they live for much longer. They're happier. So all that to say, in any diet, any regimented plan, there can be some allowance for some of the indulgences. Now, I tend to stay away from things that are a little bit more like inflated with the calories. So beer, I don't, first off, I just don't like beer. And I'm, I know, I know y'all are Brit, but I, I, I no, just, no, 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 yeah. you're, you're actually with me yeah. preaching to the choir. I'm actually not <laughs> I a hate beer, beer drinker. I, I have it like maybe three or four times a year. And it's like a one or oh. two, one or two beer thing. And it's like, I kind of go there for a minute. And then I kind of go, man, no, no, thank you. Because I get too full. I like you. Yeah. I don't 
Yeah, you know, I don't like the way that it makes me feel. I just want to turn up. I want the good buzz. So just give me the straight <laughs> liquor. Give me the spirits. <laughs> and I'll drink that plain. And I'll do things like what Tom was talking about. I'll just smoke my, smoke it. Or you can add other things, you know, like a club soda and fresh fruits to it. But I tend to stay away from a lot of mixed cocktails. And that's just from experience. Well, I think, listen, being disingenuous saying it wasn't a cocktail. I think what, I think <laughs> what you did to your glass of whiskey by putting a dome on it, getting your smoker out, smoking with it's totally a cocktail, I, as far as mm. I can say. Completely altered the makeup of the base spirit that you're using. I don't know what the definition of a I mean, that, that, I don't know if that's the that's definition true. of a cocktail or not. We probably should, because we're doing cocktails. <laughs> but that, I mean, I love it. It is whatever we say yeah. it is, Tom. That it is, is whatever we say it is. <laughs> I love that. Like that. <laughs> it will be so. If there's and one thing so. I remember on America's Next Top Model, we would go to some podunk destination in the world and say, Manila is the fashion capital of Asia. <laughs> and we'd be like, what? what are you talking about? We're like, no, no, because we said it, therefore it is. Because we said it. And therefore, <laughs> after that, that was the law. And now everyone's like, oh my God, we have to go to Manila. So as of I love it. show, Tom, everyone will be basically making cocktails by blowing smoke into their drink. <laughs> I'm going to get one of those. You watched it. Watched it. Seriously, it's going to change your life. It's going to change oh, your life. Breville. Can we get Breville the sponsor? I mean, we could just smoke things. You know, on every podcast. We could. Absolutely. I think I might you actually know what? make my next cocktail on an egg, one of those big green eggs, and just smoke it. Let's see what happens. I'm Here you go. Fabulous idea. So I want to know, Kim, where, where did you learn to cook? Are you not a tradition, not trained chef, are you? No, 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 I'm not. I cooked out of desperation. I was trying to lose weight, trying to feel better about myself and feel better in general. And so I just kind of taught myself how to cook. And it was out of, that you know feeling that, that, that like necessity that something was missing so i had gotten to the point where i did a lot of weight cycling so especially with a lot of men so, so what we'll do or what i did in the past is i would feel myself kind of getting a little big and i just go outside and start running and i started doing cardio like crazy to lose the weight so i went through these these periods of just like going up and down up and down up and down until i got to a point where i was depressed I was severely overweight, severely depressed, and I went to a trainer to ask him to help me out, and he quoted me some ridiculous amount of money. It was like crazy, and I was thinking, and it kind of light bulb went up on my head. I was like, Kev, you went to a good high school, you went to a good college, you went to graduate school, you're working in consulting. I was like, for sure, you can, you have the tools to maybe to figure this out. So a light bulb went off, I went to this little bookstore, I went to the nutrition section and just bought every books they had there about food and just began to read it. And I this was, you know, kind of emboldened and, and angry in a sense that like, this shouldn't be this hard to lose weight. It shouldn't be this hard to feel good. And I just reimagined my diet. Okay, so I get it, right? But I love the fact you went, I went to grad school. By the way, Tom, he's a Harvard grad. So oh, you know, okay. it's, it's not, this isn't <laughs> like uh, your, your average, like, okay, I, I went to grad school. So, but, so when you take like, you know, I'm going to become a cook or I'm going to know how to cook seriously. Uh -huh. You really take it seriously. But there's one thing about reading a cookbook, all right? I've read right. cookbooks. It doesn't make me a chef. You know, I'm like still full of faffing around trying to figure out what to do. Go to Harvard, mate. He, he so, goes, oh, <laughs> Jesus, don't ask questions. I mean, that's the answer to the question right there. Sorry, Kevin. Let me interrupt. Carry on. Sorry, sorry, sorry. No, you're good, Tom. I love the banter. Uh, so what I would say is this. I actually never bought a cookbook. I didn't buy cookbooks. I bought books about nutrition so I can learn like, what is a protein? What is a carb? What's a fat? And what I did was I was thinking like, 
hey, if people, people keep telling me that I can't eat this, I can't eat that, but these trainers over here are telling me I need to eat a chicken breast, brown rice, and broccoli or green beans, I didn't think that I would be put on this earth with all these amazing cuisines and cultures and say I can't do, I can't eat it. So what I said was, all right, that didn't make any sense, Kev. So let's, let's take foods that I really, really enjoy. I'm going to deconstruct them and I'm going to look at all the ingredients, swap them out with healthier, heart healthier, calorie conscious, reduced calorie ingredients and see if I can reimagine food. So what I did was I just re-engineered. So I started out, my first meal that I kind of flipped was a quesadilla because I'm in Texas. So we eat Mexican food and Mexican inspired food on the daily. And I was just eating tacos and quesadillas all the time. So I'm like, let me take a quesadilla. Let me re-engineer. Let me swap the calories out, um, you know, reduce them about 30, 40% and see how I feel. And that's how I got my momentum. What is that? What is a reduced calorie quesadilla? I mean, isn't quesadilla just cheese and bread, but cheese and like squashed? Yeah. <laughs> what is the, Well, yes, it is. Well, traditionally, so yes, it is. So you can get the flour tortilla, which is actually, you know, it's, it's pretty calorie dense already. So I swapped out the flour tortilla with an Ezekiel bread tortilla. So it was like live grains and nuts and seeds and things like that, that would actually be nourishing for me. So heart healthier in that regard. And um, it was slightly reduced carbs, but at least this time I went from simple carbs to complex carbohydrates. So that was a good plus. And then instead of cooking it in a whole bunch of butter, which is what I would see it made here in Texas on the street, I started to cook with um, in a nonstick skillet with some cooking spray, some olive oil. So that also reduced the calories by another, you know, 10, 15% because all that. And then inside, instead of loading it up with a whole bunch of saturated fat with like the, you know, like cheddar cheese, I would put in lean chicken breast. I would put in bell peppers and things like that. And then I used goat cheese for my first one. So I had completely kind of reimagined what this meal could be for myself. And it was, of course, that just sounds like, eh, Kevin, it doesn't sound the same thing. It's not the same thing. That's what I always tell people. They always say, it doesn't, it doesn't taste like my mom's recipe. It doesn't taste like Auntie's recipe. When you are reimagining your relationship like with food, the stuff that you flip isn't going to taste like the original. If you want the original, just make that. But I'm making food that I can enjoy every single day, and that's going to make me feel good and not feel bloated. Funnily, I eat a plant-based diet, right? So I actually don't mm. eat meat, right? And I haven't done it for, for many, many years, almost 15 years now. But um, I recently, awesome. I'm not sponsored by them yet, um, but Impossible, <laughs> impossible Burgers, uh, Impossible. <laughs> i got to say, they're bloody good. I couldn't believe it. Oh, I my God, like, they're amazing. Wow. I'm like, what's this? What's this sort of substitute? Because normally all of the rest of them, that you put them in and you, you, they taste like, and I don't like the taste of meat. I don't want something to replicate meat. I gave up meat and I don't want it. So, But then I all of a sudden came across this and I'm like, but when I first had it, I thought, oh, my God, I'm eating like a Big Mac or something. And I, I slightly freaked out. And then, I, then I, was, I was like, no, it's an impossible burger. It's plant-based. And I was totally freaked out. So there are foods out there which do replicate yeah. things pretty well, right? Oh, absolutely. There are, you know, especially if you are going the plant-based route. I remember that was my first experience with the two. I was in, I remember where I was. I was in LA at this place called The Butcher's Daughter. It's a vegetarian restaurant. And I ordered a breakfast platter and they brought out the sausage. It was the impossible sausage patty on there. And I had it and I actually, I was like, hey, what was that? How'd they make it? I had never even heard about the brand. And they're like, oh, it's impossible. We just use that. 
So I'm sitting there, I was like, well, can the chef write down the recipe? Because I didn't, it didn't really register that I could just buy it myself. So you're absolutely right. There are a lot of foods out there that for, as, a, as a meat eater, I've been blown away by just how intricate they are. So we're sitting here having conversations with Nigel sitting there going that he likes, you know, he likes grazing, going out of his backyard and grazing on the whatever's left after the winter on the grass and nibbling a carrot here and there. You know, what's your message? Your message, you know, because he loves also talking about the fact that he hasn't eaten meat for 15 years. It's like, I know. Oh, anyway. Plant-based people are just the absolute, uh, oh my no, God. No, no, there's, it's, sorry, there's the joke. There's the joke. How can you tell a vegan's a vegan? Because they will tell you that. That is the joke. But on a serious note, on a serious note, you know, for what you're doing, can I just ask you, you know, today I read that the President of the United States, you know, there he goes, got test positive for coronavirus. Let's not bring politics into it. The discouraging thing was, and the serious thing was, was that 40% of, right, the statistics that was that 40% of your fellow countrymen, right, your American fellow, 40% are classified as obese. So I'm not even talking about like 40% of being told that they've got bad eating habits. You know, 40% are obese. Now that is clearly caused by bad eating habits. What needs to happen? I mean, you are clearly doing, you know, driving a kind of road, driving, driving this through, and and you know, your ideas are great, and you know, altering bits here, altering bits there. Most people just don't have time or whatever their excuses to, to you know, to actually convert mm-hmm. themselves into the kind of eating that you're doing and the lifestyle that you're doing. What needs to happen? Yeah, you know, that's a brilliant question, and and I want to bring it full circle since you brought it up, that like he had that headline today about the president having tested positive. The reason why that's related to this conversation and why the people, you know, like, you know, like hearing this is that, you know, one of the big risk factors of people who have contracted COVID is that they are largely obese, you know, the ones that have like the, the like significant health problems. So to hear that the leader of our country who is, you know, you know, has COVID plus, he has heart issues and he has, and he is clinically like obese, then, you know, that does raise a lot of concerns for the welfare of our, of our country and the leadership there. So what I would say is, is how I'd answer that is we really have to change the way that we approach and talk about food. For one, this is, oh gosh, it's hard to, well, like, you know what, you already went there. This is a Shaken and Stirred podcast, so let's just go ahead and go there. Go so before with the, with, the, with the previous administration, there was a top-down approach to health and wellness. And one thing that, you know, that Michelle Obama did is she was very, very, very direct about confronting child, childhood obesity and obesity in the American public. And so she was talking about things just like, gardening and exercising with her Just Move campaign, I was able to participate. And so at the top levels, what we had there were people that were modeling behavior that the American public should actually do. And I say that that's a, it's a really important point. It's not to be political and to point fingers, but that's what we really need. We need the people who have platforms like you, Nigel. Now, we don't want everyone that we don't have to tell everyone to their plant base, but we need people <laughs> have these platforms to kind of model what we should be kind of working towards. That's the first yeah. thing that I'll say. And, and, and it does start in top with the politics because Michelle Obama was also tackling, you know, like the schools and school lunches and what that looks like. And I know 
even um, over there in the UK, like my buddy Joe Wicks, he's been doing an, an amazing job with getting kids active at a young age and embedding that type of spirit. So that's really, really important. The second thing I think that we can do, now this is maybe, Tom, me and you can talk about this because Nigel's on the other part of this with the modeling. So the thing, the other thing that we could do is we can talk about the way that we've been presented with the language of health. And one of my big peeves, I can rant about this for, for a minute, is that we don't really preach a healthy relationship with food. What we preach is aesthetics. And we don't really teach people how to, how to eat in the right portions. We just teach them, we just tell them like what health should look like. And we do that in the lens of don't eat carbs, don't eat this, you got to stay away from sugar. And it's always don't, 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 don't. And we preach that mentality, but that's really not a practical one because food should be enjoyed and food makes us feel better. You know, at times people can therapize with food. And so when we attach these labels to food about good or bad, it's largely, first off, attached to the aesthetics of health and not actually being healthy. That's the first thing we're getting. Gosh, I'm really going there today. We're, we are getting a lot of our advice from, for what health is from models and bodybuilders who are largely paid to look a certain way. Or genetically predisposed. Or genetically predisposed. And we're hollering these people and saying, well, you can do it. This is what you should be looking like. And so people, instead of learning how to cook in calorie conscious ways to embrace food, we begin to fear food, right? And we end up binging. People can binge you know, quietly, and they'll have an unhealthy relationship. So you got people who, who aren't obese, they're just like, they've got eating disorders. And on the, and on the other side of that spectrum, you have people who are just like, F it. I, I can't look like that. I'm not going to. And since everything I eat is bad, whatever. Right? So I, I think there's got to be a happy medium where we're actually showing people how to prepare foods that we love in calorie conscious ways. And one thing that I really try to do with my platform is show that you can still have a healthy, quote unquote, diet, a great calorie conscious diet that is full of flavor in the foods that you enjoy. Health and wellness is not the absence of those things. They actually go hand in hand. It's a well-known fact, you know, since cookery programs took off, certainly in this country, in England, the UK, you know, 10, 15 years ago, whatever, and then Jamie Oliver's this world, and then, you know, People coming on, doing their cooking programs. I've watched some of your cooking programs, right? You're coming on. It's a well-known fact, right? And this is not, I'm not being statistic-generous. I'm not dissing this. It's a well-known fact that out of the, you know, thousands of people that are watching your show, that have come, you know, religiously watching your show, only a small fraction of them will actually convert what they're seeing, what they're mm -hmm. learning. So there's that element of it. So the message is getting through, but you know, you're losing a lot of, a lot of the way. It is in America. So is it the same? In England, we had a, we had a thing a few years ago where the Food Standards, Standards Agency was measuring the amount of sugar used in various products. And they went to these um, companies, food, food manufacturers, and they said, you're using way too much sugar. You know, you're supposed to have half a gram a day or something, whatever it was, whatever the hell. Right now, there's 12 grams of stuff going to this and that. So we're going we're gonna to bring in legislation and we're going to tax your sugar or we can do it voluntarily. And the food manufacturers actually said, we'd rather do it voluntarily than be legislated, right? So right. actually, there are things that suddenly taste a little different, like 
hindsight beings in England, right? Just to give you one example, I was eating them the other day, and I was like, God, these are absolutely, they're, they're not nearly as good as I remember them being. Now, mm-hmm. then I was able to sit down and think, why do they taste completely? It's sort of weird for a company like Heinz to change a recipe. I mean, you know, it's one right. And I suddenly realized that it's because of this ongoing thing, the government legislation. So the question to you is, what you're doing is obviously great. You're inspiring people on television and people are changing yeah. habits. But this, is there a lot of the same legislation going on in America to tax these companies that are actually making people ill? I have not seen any substantive, you know, uh, legislation like in that sense. The only thing that I've seen that we're getting some traction on is in some states. At the state level, this actually is a it's it's tackled a little bit easier. At the federal level, no. The state level, yes. So in certain places, you know, like you know, like California, they they regulate things like that. Now, how effective that is, I don't know. The comment that like we we want to be told and that like and that like tax to go ahead and do that, that type of model doesn't really complement capitalism. Yeah, yeah but because the, the thing is though, when, when it when it hit the food companies don't want to be legislating it, so they voluntarily say, okay, you're right. You know, seriously, we need to reduce, we are putting too much sugar and we are kind of getting people right. hooked on products. So they voluntarily do it. Because they get pressure from the government, right? So in, in our situ- situation, it's more of a federal scenario. You know, you haven't got state by state. But so, so and they're actually forced. I mean, they're kind of blackmail. You're either going to do it yourself because you're poisoning people, or we're going to legislate to stop you poisoning people. Yeah. But in America, you know, what, what you're saying is it's completely anti-capitalist to go to McDonald's and say, look, <laughs> you know, the calories, in your, but you're going to reduce these calories, the sugar in your burgers and whatever the stuff is you're putting yeah. them in. You, well, you just literally—it's an anathema. It won't happen, or, or it doesn't happen. Right. It, it happens that sometimes at the state level that they can go ahead and do that, and that, you know the same way that they legislate, you know, the way that the environment, you know, and and um, you know the greenhouse gases emissions and, and what happens like products like that at the state level. But what I think has been the most driving thing around that change in food here in America has been consumers. So the more we have these studies that come out and be like, wow, did you know that if you ate this burger from McDonald's, that's like 3,000 calories, it really wasn't that. Or when we had what they call, and I don't want to use this term you know, in a pejorative sense, but they call it the fat kid lawsuit, where these families were finding out that their kids were becoming obese because McDonald's was doing heavy marketing to kids on Saturday morning, which is the time they're all kind of watching their cartoons and whatnot. And they would market uh, McDonald's as a part of a healthy lifestyle. And it was good for on the go and you can give it to your kids. And all of a sudden they found out their kids were becoming obese. And they're like, why is my kid getting obese? And then they did this study. And so that was a part of the driving change in food in America when they were exposing how many calories were in food. So now what we have seen, we haven't seen perhaps an outright like reduction in sugar and fat. What we have seen is a lot more transparency. Because there's a lot of people that still just want those foods. What you want is you want, right? But when you go into a restaurant now, they can put it up there and say, hey, this burger is 700 calories or it's 1,200 if you get our value meal. So things like that, the transparency helps consumers to make a lot more informed decisions about their diet. But it does nothing to really regulate you know, the companies and the people making the products because if people want to buy that, and remember in America, it's all about your rights. And if you want to go ahead and buy that and put that into your body, that's fine. But guess what? You can't go and you can't sue McDonald's now because you have health issues from eating something that's so calorie dense. Unfortunately, it's, it's a situation of 
the entire system is revolving around, you know, not necessarily being the best thing for you as an individual. So even the drug companies mostly don't provide or create drugs that cure you. They're drugs that keep you sick, but keep you alive for as long as possible, <laughs> right? So they can yeah. keep, you know, selling you the drug that keeps you alive and doesn't actually cure your diabetes, but make sure that you have diabetes forever, but don't die, right? And, you know, it all feeds into the other thing. I mean, ultimately, only cure or only real toll the sort of the next generation coming up and from children on, they need to learn. But it's very hard because, you know, even when you have someone like Jamie Oliver who goes into schools and tries to redo school meals and yeah. get kids to eat healthy, it's shot down by the parents. They're like, well, no, our kids want French fries. But I think people are literally, this is the biggest addiction problem of our time. Yeah. We talk about drugs, but there is no drug greater than sugar. sugar. And it is yeah. a crippler. I mean, it is, it's across everything, it's in everything, and it's insipid. It's to a point where, you know, you know, Tom, you, you said yourself, oh, this doesn't taste as good as I remember. But that's mostly, and I believe, because, you know, when I stopped eating meat, for example, not to go on about that, but it's, there was an education of my palate that had to happen. It was almost like yeah. a freshening, and, and all of a sudden, I would taste a, like a lettuce leaf that I thought yeah. had no flavor and be like, wow, this actually tastes good. You adapt to it. I mean, you get correct proud of your diet. Uh, you know, go on a, on a week or two of reducing your sugar and take off, you know, by the end of the 14th day, the tiniest little bit of sugar is going to taste like, you know, what you're used to. Can, can we um, talk about taste? Can I just completely change the subject? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have not been brought up in a culture of eating spicy food. Mm -hmm. And I do not, as a rule, if I eat food that's too hot, I get very kind of stuck, you know, I get, get overwhelmed because I'm not used to it. This is a bit like the sugar argument with the spice. You mm. just developed a spice line right? before you start talking about it because you and Nigel start talking about it and then you'll start a conversation about how amazing spice is and I'll be completely lost because for me, if I eat hot food, I just start sweating and get kind of, and like, and just start feeling uncomfortable. <laughs> how do you learn to love spice? And what is your spice line? Okay, so two things. It's actually related to the, to the point that Nigel just made and that you were making right now in that when he went to a plant-based diet, lettuce began to taste differently. And so one thing that I always tell my followers, and same thing with you, Tom, when you were talking about the beans start tasting different. Now, you said the beans taste different. If you, I'm not sure if you have children, but would your child say that? And the reason why I bring that up is we teach ourselves what tastes good, right? right? right. So, and we don't really realize that. So the more you eat something, so if you grew up eating baked beans, I don't eat baked beans a lot, but if you grew up eating baked beans- They're good, by the way. Yeah, yeah, well, they are. You're in the dark, but I don't eat them often, right? I don't eat a whole bunch of them, but when you grow up eating that all the time, it's like you actually really enjoy that. So I, I've, I have a lot of friends from different cultures. And I remember one time my buddy was like, oh, my God, you got to taste my mom's friend's casserole. It was, it was this papala huancaina, this, this like Peruvian dish. And it's, it's so good. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to throw down. I can't wait to get over there and eat that. I had the meal and I was just like, yeah, it was great. And the first time I had it, I was like, yeah, it was, it's okay. But for him, it was so good. Why? He grew up eating that and he has all, all the nostalgia and his taste buds really like that. I don't have a taste for that dish yet. Now I do because I've had it several times. So you can teach yourself what tastes good. So parents out there who are trying to get their kids to eat better, just give it to them. Just give them the food. 
more and more. Now you do have to season it up. <laughs> you need to put some flavor in there. Don't torture the kids and don't torture your family. But if you, the more you introduce foods into your diet, the better it'll taste. Now for the spices, the why I came up with that is, now I love spicy foods. You know, growing up black in America, we have a lot of we have a lot of spicy foods. We got a lot of flavor. My mom is from the South. She is from Louisiana. So I've eaten Cajun, a lot of that. And my dad's from South Carolina. So we, I, 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 I knew spice. It's only because my parents gave it to me as a young age. And so I grew up knowing what those flavors were like. Now, when it came time for me to change my diet, one of the things that was hard for me was I don't know how to cook. I don't know how to make, you know, like food taste good. And my mom just said, oh, we'll go to the store and buy some Mrs. Dash. Mrs. Dash is this no-sodium, dried-up herb stuff that you just put on food. And it tastes like basically like cardboard, but just a little bit of some, some herb flavor. It's not that great. So I didn't know how to season and cook with stuff whenever I was first starting out. So what I wanted to do with the spices, I thought it was low-hanging fruit. I'm always showing people how to put meals together. But how do you add that flavor? And if I can show you how to add flavor to your diet, then I know that you'll eat for an entire lifetime. So I came up with this flavoring system. And the system goes like this. I thought about the way that I would approach food or how, how I would like someone had else to show me how to flavor food when I was first starting out. So there are three main ones. <laughs> there is the land, sea, and the everyday. Pretty self-explanatory, right? Every day, you can put that on anything. It's like a mustard, cumin, garlic, um, onion type of peppery, you know, like blend. They're all like low sodium. They've got some sodium because you've got to bring that flavor together. But it's easy. You put that on anything. Then there's the land. And you put on anything that roams around on the ground. So you've got poultry. You've got beef. And you also have, Nigel, I got you, plants. Right. Also had a and bit of air this, in there with the poultry. I mean, yeah, it's yeah, a bit of air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess that's another line, but anyway, we won't go there. I'm not going to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. It's fair. I was going to say um, And then the sea is anything that flows around like in the sea and the water is like, there you go. So those are the three things. And so people understand we the, the packaging is really it's really clear. It's really concise. So people can see. So if they wanted to take the ingredients, themselves and go experiment with their combinations they can do that but this is how you use the seasoning and then we have three specialty ones we've got a green chili lime let's see racha with sriracha you put on everything and then we have a cajun blend as a nod to my um cajun heritage so it's, it's been an amazingly successful spice line we just found out that we are uh, we're among the top selling spices on amazon right now which is great just because it's a pretty saturated market so I'm happy that people are using them in that capacity. I think it's interesting too, because you know, the story of spice and the concept of spice, and if you know if you look historically with the spice wars and that people mm-hmm. use spice as a currency, you know, back in the day. That was how you would pay people yes. with cayenne and with nutmeg and with cinnamon and with all of these things that were that were so valuable because you know, talking about, for example, England and Europe, they were relatively spice free for pretty much history. So it was mm. only in the past sort of four or 500 years when they started to you know, travel in armadas around the world and conquer the world. And they would come back from India and be like, oh my God, look at this spice, look at this spice, look at this <laughs> thing. Although, like you said, Tom, you grew up with 
not such a spicy palate because of the foods you were eating. Because English people tend to have like roast beef, roast chicken, and roast yeah, pork. Like and it's like you know very delicious, but quite simple, like very simple right. foods. But then, of course, one of the most popular foods in England happens to also be a curry. I was going to say that, but you know, if you go back to why in in places like Asia and Africa they were using spices in the first place wasn't just to flavor their food, right, Kevin? It was also because it acted mm-hmm. as a preservative. So when you make something hot and spicy, it actually preserves the food. So in a place when you didn't have refrigeration, it was not cold yeah. by nature. Places like Africa and Asia are hot. Food goes off quickly. So by adding spice, it actually preserves the food. And it's a natural way to preserve food. So all <laughs> of you out there, you know, if you don't eat all your dinner that night and you want to eat it in, over the next week, spice your food up, for God's sakes. And there you go. It's helping it preserves it. <laughs> or salt it. Or salt it. Right. I it's love it. salt's I really it. bad for you, Tom. Yeah, but you know something about salt. By the way, <laughs> I was saying earlier about the, you know, the, the, the sugar thing with, uh, with our, the, the food, you know, the government getting involved in the sugar, they also did it with the salt. And that experiment yeah. was a lot more interesting because they got people to reduce the salt content, food manufacturers, they've actually managed to do it, to reduce the salt content in food by over 50% over the last 20 years, right? Yeah. And they've done it in a way, this is what I was talking about earlier with sugar, but they've done it with salt here. They've done it in such a way that no one noticed. Right. Because yeah. it's slow. And they've done it slowly and literally. Now, if you ate food that you were eating 20 years ago, the same thing that you buy in the same package, now, if you ate a bar from whatever it is from 20 years ago, it would taste, it would almost be inedible. It would taste like you were kind of, you know, drinking seawater. I mean, it would, you know. Yeah, and you know, and, and I think part of that is just that science has evolved to a point too in the way that we like produce and package process food that like, like the sodium levels just aren't the same. Like, and, and, and our palates have changed. We're eating a large variety of foods now. But that's one thing that I, I think, you know, that I've noticed too, even with my recipes, you know, you know, whenever you post something online, the internet has the best chefs or they have the most experts out there. So they're like, you didn't put enough salt on there. You didn't even do this. I'm like, well, actually, it doesn't really need that oftentimes. We just don't know. There are, there, there are other flavors in there. So for the first time, I really do think that People are tasting what food actually is, which is incredible. <laughs> if I went out, so I don't, I don't eat spicy food, but if I thought, well, I listened to you today and I've heard what you said about giving it to children and things, and it's completely, sounds completely sensible what you're saying. You know, you just get used to something, you get, you know. If, so if I wanted to go out and buy your spice, and I, and yeah. I got an Amazon after, after talking now, and I booked it and, I, and it arrived, when I get a, a, a bottle of spice or a can of thing of spice, container of spice, would it have a recipe on it? I mean, what would I do with this spice? Well, that, well, that's why I designed the spices in this way as a spice system. So first off, even in the absence of a recipe, you know, you probably, do you eat chicken, Tom? Yeah. Tom eats everything. There you go. In See, fact, you have to be careful if you turn your back on him, actually. Um, <laughs> you know, Tom, it's pretty easy. For God's sakes, land, sea, and everything. I mean, for God's sakes, yeah, it's like you, go. you can put the everything on everything, including your breakfast. You can put the land on you know, everything, probably including your little dog, which is not really a dog. No, you don't have much to put on and all the rest of it, blah, blah, blah. What I'm saying is, do you get a thing This is a very good point, though, Kevin. It's a very good point. Talking to to Tom's point here, only because what he's saying, because he's hopeless, right? As are most people, and most men, certainly, quite hopeless. 
So literally, unless it's spelled out for them, does it come with right. a, a warning that sort of says, you must watch my podcast or you must watch my Instagram feed to know how to use it? Because people no. are hopeless. They don't know how much to put on. So the first thing is that we had that in mind. So we actually limited the, the amount of sodium in them so that we didn't want people to over-season their foods with a whole bunch of sodium. And then all of a sudden, it's just not a palatable, like really cool experience. So I've used upwards of three tablespoons for one recipe uh, of a spice, but usually you only you, you need about like one tablespoon or two teaspoons. So it's designed with that in mind that you can pack on the flavor of the actual spice and not the actual sodium because of that. And then secondly, so then you the, sell more. I haven't think about that, but yeah, that's true too. Thank <laughs> no, of you. course not. You know what I have noticed? That's actually a really good point is that people have loaded up on the spices because not a lot of sodium, so they really do enjoy the flavor and that flavor just becomes a lot more pronounced. So people fall in love with whatever they're making and they try to enhance it and they're a little bit heavy handed with that just because there's not a lot of sodium in there by design. So yeah, maybe you're right, maybe there are people are going through them like that. From the point of view of what Nigel was saying earlier, that basically people like me are completely hopeless when it comes to food. And if we got your spice, we would sit there and go, you know, chuck it on. No, I think Nigel's being a bit disingenuous when he's saying to you, well, you could sell more if you like, they put more on. I actually, actually, it's a bit like caviar, isn't it? You know, you can sell that for, if people know what they're doing with it and you know how to savor it and enjoy it, you don't need very much. But the average yeah. moron like me who's chucking this stuff on, you know, you maybe do need a bit more. So I think it's actually, a, I don't, I'm going to say, I'm going to take yeah. a punt on There's not a marketing boy. You know what? Cool. It's a sensible thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm going to get both your addresses and I'm going to send you all some spices and we're going to, we're going to, and Tom, you got to promise that you're going to cook with them and I want to see how heavy handed you are. Okay. <laughs> Do you know something? I promise I will. Cause when I was reading about your, uh, when I was chuckling over breakfast, I was reading about your president. When I stopped chuckling was when I read that he, he weighed 17 and a half stone. And I was kind of like, I could suddenly relate to the guy and he's six foot three. <laughs> so he's, I mean, I'm not yeah, small. He's a big guy. He's an inch, inch, inch and a half taller than me, but not, and he's heavier than me, but I mean, you know, I'm, we're not that far apart. So I love the spice. <laughs> I love the spices and I'll definitely be watching your uh, Instagram. Thank you. Thank you so much. You know, and, I, and that's what I show too in some of the recipes. Like, you know, usually I've always been the guy to, to show the ease and I want to show how easy and accessible that calorie conscious cooking can be. And so now, even recently, I've been to integrate the spices into the cooking just to show that this can be a part of it, too. So it's, it's, it's a very simple thing. One thing that, um, you know, that I would like to say, too, is that um, because of my traveling, one thing that I have picked up, and I think probably my first introduction to it was when I was in the UK about five years ago. God, I need to go back to the UK. I um, was drinking tea. And I had a trip to Morocco last year that was just kind of like, game changing. I had tea probably about four times a day. <laughs> yeah, I felt like I had so much Moroccan mint tea and the way they would aerate it. And guess what? I struggle with depression and anxiety so much, but all of that was gone when I was over there, when I was drinking the tea. And there's caffeine in that too. So it just did something for me and I felt something and just watching them make the tea and pour it down from here. Hang on, you're talking the wrong person. I lived in Morocco for about seven or eight years. Oh, you did? Yeah, 
But I mean, the amount of sugar in it, no wonder you felt different. Okay. I mean, now listen, all right. Bring so that's sugar free thing diet that... in the States, and then you've got a Morocco. You're going to be like, my God, it's like basically like sort of mainland. You may as well have just been taking, injecting Coke. <laughs> But no, like, you're right. That's a whole but, other thing. Fit men yeah, do. That's, a, that's, a, that's a whole other that's thing. A, that's another. That's another podcast. Um, <laughs> but what I will say is that I did really enjoy the flavors of it, and I didn't really realize that he could be as enjoyable. And so that Tom called me out here, I will say this: that towards the latter part of my trip, I asked them not to put the big, like, just to put one block of sugar. And not no. two of them in my little thing because I'm like that's a, that's just too much. Plus, it didn't taste. I didn't like drinking syrup, me personally. <laughs> but anyway, so from that, I came back and did some more research about how teas can make me feel. So we're coming out with the line of wellness teas in the fall, and it's probably the product that I've been the most excited about in quite some time because I am so into making people feel better, making people feel healthier and happier. And I had no idea that tea could do that for me. And I want people to experience that as well. Just make sure when you make those tea bags, if you're making tea bags, are you making tea bags? No, 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 Nigel. Did you not see my smoke machine? I saw your smoke machine. We're making sachets. (laughs) Sachets. I love it. Kevin, I'm very pleased. You know something? He's been out of England, Tino. This this will only be amusing for the English listeners, but tea bags and tea bagging over here is something completely different. That's what I thought too. It's the same thing in the US. I'm like, we're no, we're not doing tea bags over here, Nigel. <laughs> sachet sounds so much more fun. Yeah, sachet, we are sachet. sachet. Oh, that's right, sachet. What do you think, sachet? Sashay, <laughs> oh my god! All right, just make sure you don't you make recyclable ones, so you don't put too much plastic in it, because that's another thing, right? There is no plastic. It's one hundred percent sustainable for for the environment. They what is it called, like compostable or whatnot? And all the ingredients are sustainably sourced as well. And I'm not talking about the type of tea bag that Nigel's talking about. What's all ground up? It looks like you know, powder. These are all real granular ingredients. You can see each one. So that's the part that I've been most excited about recently, just because I've never done something like this before. I think it's brand new in some sense. You know, a large part of the American population, we drink a lot of coffee. There is a significant tea population, you know, here as well. But with this year, 2020 is just going straight to going straight to hell. And Mm. We look for comfort any way that we can. And so drinking tea for me and even watching, this is going to sound really crazy, but have you ever watched like water boil? I have. (laughs) I know. Okay. And it's just, it's a weird thing to admit out loud, but it's it's largely therapeutic to watch. (laughs) It it depends what you're smoking, Kevin. It depends what you're smoking. Well, Nigel, yes. And we don't, and people listen to this, we don't judge here. I'm this chicken and stir, we don't judge. I love it. Look, before we let you go, Kevin, we've got something yes. on this show called Last Orders, which is a sort of rapid fire moment. Are you into it? You've got time. Let's do this. Of course. I love it. Alrighty. I love this. <laughs> Here we go. Okay. Simple, simple, but I know you okay. have a lot of ingredients. What's your favorite ingredient to cook with? Smoked paprika. And why? I love the complexity that it adds. I like the smoky flavors. I love the sensation of it being spicy without burning my mouth. Is it one of the spices that you sell? 
Um, smoked paprika is in one of the ingredients. Is you know is is one of the ingredients. I think it's in the Southern Creole blend. Wow. And look out, people, because after this podcast, he's going to be selling it by itself now. It's, you know, <laughs> don't worry, I'll, I'll expect my commission to come in the mail too, along with there the, you bre- go. I got the you. breville I got you and check. the spices and everything else. And, um, what was your favorite food to eat as a kid? Roast beef growing really? up. Really? Roast beef? Yes. And so here it is. Oh, my God. I could eat my body weight in roast beef. And so let you know, here in the U.S., and I'm maybe sure it's over there in the U.K. too, but we had something called a Soul Food Sunday in the Black community. And is after church, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a rite of passage, I felt like, in the sense that, like, after church, you come home when you have a family meal. And it was one of my Southern, it's a Southern favorite. My mom would make a roast beef, and I would look forward to it every single Sunday. And even now, it's so funny, fast forward, now that I'm eating healthier and whatnot, people ask me like what my favorite meal is. And I would always make, after traveling around, after coming back home and finally you know, getting home and traveling, I would always make myself a grilled flank steak with sweet potatoes and some spinach. And I was telling them like, I eat this on Sundays. I just love it so much. And when someone finally asked me what I ate growing up, I made the connection that, oh my God, this is the exact, this is Soul Food Sunday, but then in a calorie conscious way. My mom would make candied yams, candied sweet potatoes, and roast beef, and collard greens. And I had no idea that I was making that same thing for myself, um, but in a calorie conscious way. That's perfect. <laughs> that's kind of cool. So that's yeah. like your cheat meal in a way. No, my cheat meal. No, if I'm going to cheat on my diet, if I'm going to have a treat meal, it's going to be a treat. So I'm going I'm to have mama's roast beef or... Um, my my favorite one is this spot here in um, Texas. It's called uh, it's called Water Burger. It's a burger spot, and well, you have a traditional burger, but for the bread, we have something called Texas Toast. Imagine thick pieces of buttery garlic bread. I'll put some avocado because avocado is healthy, <laughs> <laughs> along with bacon and cheese and everything else. It's just an amazing burger. That's my treat. Woo! And that wasn't even one of my questions. I just, just, that just came out. Uh, okay. <laughs> I was going to say sweet or savory, but it sounds like you're a bit of both. Yeah, I could probably eat my body weight in sweet, so I'd say sweet. Wow, really? That's my danger. That's my danger right there. Woof, my goodness. Yeah, I know. No wonder that Moroccan tea went down so well. Okay, in the movie <laughs> of your life, this is one of our favorite questions. Mm. Who would play you, Kevin? Oh, 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 oh. Um, I definitely want Michael B. Jordan to be playing me. You okay. know, you know, he may have to go back the conditioning to actually look a little bit more realistic. But yeah, I, I, I want him playing me. Or as I get older, let me see an older me. I guess maybe like a Denzel. Yeah, but Michael B. Jordan and a Denzel. I definitely want them to be playing playing me and a me. Yeah, I can see that. I think you're doing pretty well <laughs> already. Already and. Uh, <laughs> Shaken or stirred? Shaken. Yeah, thank you, spices. Yeah, yeah, that and just, I'm just, I'm so impatient. Stirring just requires a little level of patience and care. And I feel like I'm a little bit more like, you know, heavy handed. My mom used to call me when I was younger. She said, you're like a bull, a bull in a china store. We have to be very careful with you because sometimes you don't know how to be delicate 
Fantastic. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's hilarious. Thank you so much, Kevin Curry, Fitmen Cook. Uh, follow him on Instagram. Check him out. Buy his spices online. They're called The Fit Cook. He's amazing. His food is incredible. And he's great, basically creating a revolution. We're so happy to have you on Shaken and Stirred, mate. Thank you so much. Cheers. Thank you all. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much for listening. That is Shaken and Stirred. We will be back next week with another podcast and another fantastic guest. And uh, stay safe. See ya. See ya.